Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Mahib. How are you today? I'm really well, Haider. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. No, it, it's it's great to have you here. I know you're a super busy guy. I mean, you've got so much on your plate. How do you sort of put it all together and uh, still have that smile on your face? I think... Uh... The, the biggest thing that helps me do that is that I love everything that I do. Mm. And, you know, it, it sounds like a cliche, but, you know, they say that if you find a job that you love, mm. you never work another day in your life. So I am really busy, but all the different roles I do, I've picked things that I'm excited to go and do them, that I'm passionate about. So, you know, I love my education work. But, like for example, yesterday I was clinic. I love to see patients, um, you know, um, when I'm, teaching I really enjoy that if I'm traveling to do humanitarian work mm. I'm really interested in it and and you know learning from the people that I'm around and the environment so I think if you pick things that you enjoy doing and you're passionate about it doesn't feel like work mm. Uh, mm. and so that, that that definitely helps and 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 where did that come from that sort of um need to do something that you love and have passion for well I think you know like you, you know like people sometimes talk about work-life balance. Mm. Um, the thing is that I, I don't see that as a click. Like, for example, if you run your own business, mm. you know, there's always something going on. You're, you're never mm. really off, are you? So if you're going to spend a long time doing something, mm. I think it's important you find something that you enjoy doing because otherwise, if you see it as, oh, you know what, it's a slog. I've got to get through this to get through the week and then I can relax. Mm. Then you know, if you're going to do something for 20, 30 years, for yeah. most of the day, you're there more than you are with your family. If you're not enjoying it, what's the point? Yeah. And that, yeah. That's my sort of mentality. I'm going to spend a long time doing it. Yeah. So I found things that I'm passionate about that I enjoy doing. So then I'm happy when I'm at work. And that helps me be happy when I'm not at work. Um, yeah. it, you know, like I love to spend time with my friends and family. I love to spend time with my kids. Yeah. But obviously, you've also got to do something in your work hours so that you can earn a living mm. but I, I don't think that that should be something that you really don't like to do mm. but you're just doing because then over time you're not going to enjoy it and i think like things like it will then translate into the way you do your role mm. you know um mm. especially for example when i'm seeing patients if if you're not happy in your job mm. sometimes you might find subconsciously mm that it might affect the way that you actually interact with your patients mm. and, uh, you know, it might sort of rub off into that. Mm. And, I, I, you know, I hope not to get in that situation. Mm. Mm. And if I see it building up to to try to do things to prevent it. Which is which is quite amazing because uh, when you read the news and you read the papers, it says that majority of GPs are unhappy. So you're part of the minority of GPs, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't you know, know. Something, something I had about that is that actually you're right. You know, they're, they're well documented that there are large levels of dissatisfaction, mm. stress, burnout. 
And that's because there's so many pressures. You know, GP is mm. such a busy role, mm. and especially the last sort of decade or so, I'd say, mm. the workload's gone up. The number of patients per GP has gone up. Mm. The number of visits per patient per year has gone up. The number of GPs has gone down. We're doing a lot more. I remember, for example, when I was um, sort of a medical student, mm. the majority of patients with diabetes, the minute they needed insulin, mm. would refer them to hospital and they'd be sort of, you know, under an endocrinologist and mm. manage that. Whereas now, hardly any of our patients, uh, even the ones on insulin, mm. need to be seen regularly by a hospital consultant. You know, mm. it, so much more is managed in GP. Mm. Um, so, you know, the workload is, is phenomenal. So I can see that. But one of the things I will say is a lot of the GPs that I see that are happy are the ones that are doing portfolio roles that mm. aren't working, say, nine clinical sessions, um, because it, it is really, really tough that, you know, the pressure, one patient after the other, mm. and then the admin that comes with it, it, it is very, very intense. So I think those people that have, you know, they say change is as good as the rest, that mm. they might still be, almost all of them are still working full-time hours or more, mm. but where you have something to break up your working week, you mm. know, like, for example, you might be teaching one of my friends uh, you know he's doing clinical work for some of the week mm. but then part of the week he's the team doctor for the england and 18s football club so mm. like you know he'll go to their training camps he travels when they're doing tournaments he just breaks it up a little bit mm. 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 oh so it breaks that routine where you know you have to get used to that change or it just um the mind has to flip in a way and ch and change roles and that causes you to sort of adapt and um, I'm trying to be flexible I think that flexibility is uh, is interesting isn't it having yeah. flexibility in your life mm, definitely I think it's one of the beautiful things about having a portfolio career as well mm. is that yes you've got to do that adaptation but sometimes like for example if you're finding a particular thing is quite intense and you know well, okay I've got this for two days but then on Wednesday I'm going to be you know, um, doing mm. a, a different role. Mm. You've got something else to look forward to. Mm. No matter how challenging it can be, mm. you know that something else is coming and it will just give you a break and then you can come back. Yeah. You know, like some, sometimes you're having a particularly challenging clinic. Mm. If you know tomorrow you're going to be doing a different role in a different setting, mm. and then when you come back, you know, you'll have another clinic the day after. Yeah. It sort of allows you to reset. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which is why having that kind of uh, work and non-work and fun and not so fun sort of different task just to keep keep things uh moving for you essentially rather than just sort of doing the same thing over and over again and um which is quite interesting because because i did a lot of cataract surgery and then i got to a stage where i got bored with the um with the surgery because it was the same old thing over and over again and you know if i'd break things up and just done something totally different in between it may have sort of uh, kept my passion going um where where did you get that passion for sort of gp and uh and sort of education work so actually um when i finished my house jobs um i was thinking about leaving medicine entirely wow um, and Why? Um, i i found uh you know house jobs is a lot of running around doing paperwork yeah. uh, you weren't often really 
thinking that much and, and mm. it was a lot of you're given a set of tasks to do mm. and you just have to do them you know yeah. take this these bloods uh go and chase these x-rays uh, go a dog's and, body i feel like a yeah, dog's body <laughs> absolutely oh, oh, you know what there's lots that you learn uh, yeah sure, there's lots, sure. Of, lots of things you have to do but i, I did find that I, I you know i i found that by the end of that year i was getting a little bit fed up of that and i, I just wanted a, a different challenge so um one of the things was when i did my als they um, recommended I go for ALS instructor training. And uh, I started teaching medical students, and I, I really enjoyed that. A ALS is advanced life support. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, thanks, Ada. And so, and actually, I had a job lined up to go and teach at a Caribbean medical school to wow. teach communication uh, and consultation skills, which is something I was really interested in. But then I, I saw this master's program at UCL to do health informatics. Mm. And I'd always been interested in computers and in programming. And, and I thought, you know what, this might be a, an option if I want to go into consulting and you know, if I wanted to leave clinical medicine. Mm. And I couldn't really afford it because uh, I just finished my house jobs. And, and I, I managed to get a scholarship from one of the research councils. They basically paid the whole thing. So I thought, okay, wow. I'll put that, put that job on hold. I'll, I'll do this. How did um, you get that? How did you get the scholarship? So it was just, a, you know, um, application. The one of, one of the tutors said, apply for this, yeah. you know, you might get it. So I had to fill in an application as to why I wanted to do this. And um, uh, thankfully, they, they, they funded the whole thing. Wow. And so while I was doing that, I, I kept locuming. I was doing orthopedics and trauma. For, so, I, I, you know, would locum and then I'd, I'd attend a few days a month you had mm. to physically attend. The rest was by distance learning. Last six months, it was dissertation. So mm. I didn't have to attend at all. So I thought, I'll take a full-time job. And I took a job in a hospice. Mm. And I absolutely fell back in love with medicine. And I, I wow. saw... The beauty of how, because one of the things in hospital, sometimes um, there can be a lot of politics mm. and there can be sometimes egos can get in the way of mm. actually the patient. And what I saw mm. in the hospices, from the CEO to the cleaner, everybody had one focus, and that was to serve the patient mm. and to, you know, make sure we could do everything we could to make them as comfortable as they could and to mm. make sure that they need. And there's also this mentality that, you know, you don't want to do a, a, an investigation unless there's a really good clinical reason. So it made you really think, mm. what am I hoping to find from this? Rather than, you know, um, when you're a household, especially, it's very easy, isn't it? Just to tick every box. You're taking some bloods anyway. <laughs> Use an ease, LFT, serum banana, serum rhubarb. Let's get a bit of that. <laughs> Hope something comes up and then see what was in the hospice is the complete opposite. You wouldn't do any test unless you could really justify that it's going to benefit the patient. There's going to be a good reason, or what are you going to hope to add? Mm. If you can, if you can work it out without doing it, don't bother doing it. And so, actually, it really—I loved that you had to really think, and that everything was focused around the the, the patient. Mm. And I, I just saw how teams could work, and mm. how you know, um, it, it was really, really wonderful. That one of the best jobs I ever did. So and I thought, I, I don't want to leave clinical because I don't ever want to lose this. Mm. But by that time, I'm, I'm coming to the end of my master's, and I thought, you know what, I, I, you know, I did a, my dissertation was actually around cancer pain management mm. and building an interactive learning tool. So I was thinking, you know, I've learned about developing websites, and I'm interested in education and teaching. I want to keep that up. I don't want to miss that. But then I don't want to stop seeing patients. So how can I put these things together? And I thought, you know what, with GP, there's that flexibility mm. to develop a portfolio career. So that's really how it started. Um, uh, it, um, and then once I got into GP, a lot of people were asking advice, how can I get into training? There were, there were these new assessments being developed. Mm. Uh, instead of the old traditional interviews, they had like this selection center, they're using these new types of assessment. So I just 
made a website giving out information about this, all free, mm. lots of different articles. And so many people were sort of asking the same questions. We thought, well, if we maybe put together a course, maybe people would find it helpful. Mm. And that's how basically eMedica started. We ran that first course back in 2005. Wow. Um, and, and then once those doctors got into training, they were like, oh, well, actually, I'm doing membership now. I need some help with that. And by that time, I'd done membership. So, you know, um, we thought, okay, well, we'll start doing some courses for that. And then there was, they developed sort of communication skills-based assessments to get into GP training. People wanted help with those things. So, you know, we put together a course for that. And it grew and grew, basically, and got to a point where I was working full-time clinically, Monday mm. to Friday, wow. and then te teaching a lot of weekends. And then when I wasn't teaching, I was traveling because I was newly married. So I was traveling to visit my in-laws or visit my parents and just got to a point where, you know, you can't work seven days a week um, for so long. So when I finished my own GP training, I made a decision that, look, let me try full time being my main role in education. Mm. And I'll, I'll, I'll keep working clinically maybe one or two days a week so that I keep my skills up. And then if it doesn't work out, I've got to... You know, I kept my skills up and, uh, you know, I could maybe consider a full-time job in, in practice. And basically, I, I loved it. Um, it took off and that was, I don't know, uh, 11, 12 years since I made that switch to, you know, portfolio career, but with the main role being in education. Um, and since then, you know, we now teach medical students. Uh, we, we teach, you know, careers for people who are finishing. We, mm. we've, we've had uh, examiners come on the course. Uh, so, you know, a whole range of different things. What difficulties have you sort of experienced going through this sort of transition from uh, GP to sort of full full time ish education, medical education uh, work? I think uh, one of the things that's challenging is that when you're teaching something, you have to really, really know it well. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, so I spend a lot of time reading, researching, you know, trying to keep up to date. And especially these days with technology, like you've got to be, even the day of the course in the morning, I'll make sure, is there anything new? Because if you say something, someone will be on their phone and be like, oh, actually that's changed. And you know, like the, the technology is in everyone's hands now. So mm. I think the amount of time you have to spend researching and keeping up to date, because I think mm. one of the things that sometimes people might say is like, you know, it's these many days that someone might be teaching and, and, and then these many days I'm in clinic, because uh, we opened a practice a couple of years ago, uh, my, myself and uh, uh, one of my best friends I went to medical school with, mm. we always talked about doing something together. And a couple of years ago, despite both working full time, we decided let's open a practice. Um, wow. And it, it's the fact that all the days when I'm not doing either of those, there's a lot of other work that goes on in the background. So you, you've always got to be keeping up to date. So always got to be reading, always got to be yeah. uh, sort of, you know, researching what's happening. And things like exams, they change, the structure of exams change, but then all the clinical stuff that we teach, guidelines are always changing, aren't they? So you're always having to keep up to date with that. And that's one of the big challenges. I guess that's also a, a, a sort of a stimulation to sort of enjoy the work as well, you know, if you look at it that way. Yeah, I think the, the the nice thing is if I'm reading to keep up to date, it's useful then when I'm seeing patients. Yeah. But then also I think uh, the other way that I think that when you're seeing patients, if you're then teaching things like consultation and communication skills, you can relate it to an example that you saw maybe last week or the week before, which makes it easier for you to teach, but also it makes it more real, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when you're 
teaching to a registrar that they can see they can relate to what it's like when you're trying to put it in real life because there's there might be like the ideal standard the perfect consultation sure sure but then sure. there's how do you adapt that to when you're running behind and it's a busy clinic and you know you've also got all of those things to do so i think that the two help definitely help each other yeah yeah i mean you know having real life stories helps all the time you know to teach anything and you know having lots of examples of sort of real life situations and when you're exposed to it on a daily basis you know it, it it makes it interesting for you and it makes it interesting for everyone else who's sort of learning from this um how do you think education has changed for medical students i mean we went to medical school a long time ago um how how has things changed for the medical students for for the better or for the worse or is it sort of so I think uh, I know it's a big lot, question. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, lots of great things have come from technology, mm. um, and so I, I, you know, I think there's a a lot more opportunities now for students to get really rich. Like you know, there's uh, lots of like 3D modeling and and mm. things like, for example, for anatomy, mm. where there's so many apps now you can actually layer by layer peel back and actually see what's there and try to get those connections. But also in um, teaching so like we started live streaming a lot of our courses now and you know recent courses we had like a doctor logging in from saudi mm. we had uh, someone in dubai we had mm. someone in india someone in pakistan someone was logging from portugal you know um that 10 years ago they just you know it wasn't possible the internet mm. connection wasn't fast enough for you mm. to stream hd video um, and stream the slides at the same time with good quality it just wasn't possible in most settings whereas now that's an amazing you know um we, we we do some webinars where there might be hundreds of doctors logging in from all over the world mm. um and so i think you know the potential to reach people um that you couldn't do before mm. but similarly now for students to engage with others mm. um on one of our facebook groups for example you know we'll post educational topics um, uh, on a daily basis, uh, you know, some video clips and things like that. What's amazing is how helpful someone will ask a question and there'll be someone the other side of the country or sometimes the other side of the world who say, oh, I had something similar mm. and this helped. Um, that, I think, was a when you and I were in medical school would yeah. have been impossible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we didn't yeah. even have smartphones, so never yeah. mind. Uh, permanently yeah, we did feel, like, you know, isolated, essentially. You know, it, was, it was really your, your mates and, and, you know, if you're lucky... If you were a bit tax savvy, savvy, you'd you'd be on the internet for a bit and sort of find out stuff on the internet. But apart yeah. from that, it's literally your mates in medical school or mates elsewhere in other medical schools, and that's it. But but now, yeah, the opportunity is immense, and you know, I guess. But you know, the amount of information is a lot more. You know, the, you know, there's there's a lot more diagnoses and a lot more uh, uh, treatment plans and protocols and so on. So, I mean. It, there's just so much more information now and the, and you know something that people always ask me is is how do you store all this information i mean are, the, are they still going with memory like like for us back in the day or is it more um application of uh of principles now when it comes to medical school and sort of exams and so on well i think uh that th th there's bits of both you still yeah. need to know um you know your core basics yeah, yeah. Um, but like for example um I, I write questions for the prescribing safety assessment that the so final year medical students sit but for example they have access to bnf now which is good because mm. uh you know in because real we life, have access to bnf as doctors as well <laughs> absolutely in real life when are you going to be in a situation yeah. um it's very rare where you need to make a complex uh decision and you just need to know the dose off by heart yeah. you know like yeah. you'll be able to look it up so 
yes, it's still time pressured. So they still need to know that, okay, the general treatment for this is is this, mm. you know, first line treatment for someone who's got hypertension mm. um, and who is under 55 and not Afro-Caribbean, it's an ACE inhibitor. But mm. do I need to know the exact dose? No, mm. I'll know where to look. Mm. I can still look it up. But, you know, I, I, you still need that basics because if you had no idea which section to look, yeah. uh, that, yeah. then you're still not going to be able to, it, it's going to be too slow, right? But um, so I think that that's good. Things like that where you need to be safe. You need to know how to, uh, the, the key skills are, I think, perhaps a lot more important. So mm. being able to consult well, being able to communicate well, mm. um, knowing the basics. After that, if you know where to research the specific details, you'll be able to do that. I, I think mm. that we'll probably see that a lot more, that, you know, this idea of, I think it'd be good in a day where eventually you could do an exam and they actually let you have internet access and let you, you know, actually search for some of the answers. You, you still need to know the basics so you know what to search. Sure, Otherwise, you're not sure. going to get through it in time. And, and I think that the skills will become more and more important rather than just repeating, mm. uh, regurgitating facts, if you like, so, applying them to a situation. So in, in, in your view, what are the important skills that you think are essential as a medical student and as a GP? I think uh, being able to consult well. Mm. Uh, so that one part of that is being able to communicate well, but mm. one part of it is also knowing what are the right questions to ask mm. so that you can do a good job clinically and to do that in a focused way given the time constraints that you've got um the essential skills of like examination they're never going to go away you, you know you still need to learn those things and i think one of the things sometimes when you are early on in your medical student career you don't see the value of things like anatomy mm. you know that how important it is that you know and physiology that you know mm. how the body works and uh, I, I think being able to put that all together yeah. so i think you know consulting communicating well but also um increasingly i think using technology to be able to enhance what you can do to to be able to help the patient better um and, and then teamwork yeah. you know um, medicine's a team sport right they always yeah. tell us that but i think that that whether you're in GP or whether you're in hospital, yeah. that is such an important skill, be able to work with others. And I think, you know, if you put the patient at the center, and I think it goes back to my experience at the hospice, that, you know, every member of that team, they're working towards one common goal. Mm. Um, the cleaner, the nurse, the physio, the pharmacist, the CEO, the yeah. doctors, uh, everyone. And I think that, that that's a really, really important skill. Wow, wow, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, it's been quite a sort of whirlwind of a tour uh, talking to you today and um, it's really amazing that you know you still have that drive and passion and do so many different roles with with um, with gusto and you know um, with a big smile on your face and that's something that I've no noticed about you you always have a smile on your face which is absolutely amazing um, how can people get hold of you you know what's the best way for people to sort of uh, know about the work that you're doing yeah, so um, you, you can contact me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, easiest way is drop me an email through the website. So that's emedica.co.uk. If you go on there, contact details are there. Um, you know, anything that you send through there, you can get hold of me. Um, during office hours, um, if I'm not available, my team will take a message and then, you know, it will get to me. So uh, whichever way, um, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, if anyone needs any advice, support, if you've got any questions, if you want to become a GP or develop a portfolio career or interested in medical education, uh, always happy to connect with people. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure speaking to you, Mobia.
Uh, absolutely, Haider. Really nice to speak with you and uh, all the best with uh, your different ventures and uh, you know all the different roles that you hold as well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.